Previously on Misfortune. Do you feel a little bit like the hunt is in control now? Yeah. I'm not looking for somebody to find that treasure chest over spring break. I'm, I'm looking at 100 years from now, maybe 1,000 years from now. Realistically? Realistically. I mean, it could be found tomorrow. You know, he was always searching. It was like this theme of always trying to find something. I've said many times that the treasure chest is difficult to find, but it certainly isn't impossible. You know, he could have gave up, but he, it didn't stop him. He just kept going. And when somebody finds that, they're going to tell myself, good Lord, why did it take me so long to do this? All right, here's uh, line number two. I'll do in a couple flat reads and then a little more urgent. Hi, Peter. Uh, I'm sure you get a lot of kooks calling you up to say they know where the treasure is. Um, I would not call myself a kook, but I do know where the treasure is. Good story if I took you out to the site and sort of lead you through this maze that I've been in for years looking for this thing. Please call me. Thanks. One thing you learn pretty quickly about the Fen treasure hunting community is that word gets around. If you're a writer and you're interested in talking about solutions to the poem... You'll get them. Hello, Mr. Wright. I read your article on Forrest Fenn. Over the years, I've gotten letters from prison inmates, phone calls from college professors, I'm a professor in NYU, and emails from waiters and plumbers who think they've solved the riddle, but haven't found the chest. I had worked on finding the treasure for years. I think what they want is some validation. I didn't really know who else to turn to for advice. Some assurance Again, that they're on the right track. Some from someone that knows something about Fenn. Some light on this for me. I don't know if you have what I've learned from these conversations is that most of the solutions out there are really pretty bad. How do you feel as you're telling me all this? Like, there, there's a certain point in our conversation today when you started, you started sort of hedging and saying, like, this, you know, this sounds crazy. Or do, you, do you think I'm crazy? This is my side of a conversation with a guy who... After agreeing to an interview and talking me through a solution so intricate and bizarre that it took several hours to explain, decided he didn't want me to use his name or voice. I guess I'm curious, like, like having spent the last, uh, not two and a half hours going through this, I guess, are you worried that you're crazy? Or like the solve is crazy? <laughs> this was my basic reaction to most of the solutions. It felt like no one had anything good. But then I met Robert C. Duncan. The, the thing that I'm most known for is, is, um, is um, discovering these kind of stars called magnetars, which are a kind of very highly magnetized neutron star. And that's, that, I worked on the theory of that for a long time. Rob is an astrophysicist, the kind with his own page on Wikipedia. And he heard about the Fen treasure hunt when he started spending time in the New Mexico desert doing astrophysicist things. And I also am working on a privately funded experiment in Socorro, New Mexico, um, which is trying to stimulate magnetic field generation in stars and planets. Rob was half of a team that spent 20 years trying to figure out why, in 1979 and 1998, for just tenths of a second, the Earth was hit with massive bursts of gamma rays, which have the shortest wavelengths on the electromagnetic spectrum. It was as much energy as the sun shines away in 10,000 years. And by the mid-1990s, their theory was that the bursts had come from a kind of highly magnetized, otherwise invisible neutron star, a magnetar, 
They couldn't see or detect it in any way other than the gamma rays. But mathematically, because of the burst, it had to exist. They won an astronomical prize for the work. And when you've already found a nearly undetectable object in the vastness of space, following a poem to a treasure sounds easy. You know, it was just something I was doing in the evenings for, for fun, was reading the, the websites. I, I spent a long time lurking on various treasure websites, reading, reading everybody's solutions that were there. And uh, I, I got I to gotta admit, I was amazed at how bad they all were. <laughs> Where people seem to go wrong, Rob says, is they ignore the ground rules that Forrest laid out at the very beginning. Like how every clue corresponds to a physical location on the ground, and that a kid could solve it. Instead of reading the poem like a treasure map and fitting their solutions to its constraints, people tend to slot in any old thing that fits where they're already looking. Uh, like maybe half the solution said the home of brown is where there are brown trout, and and... Um, I, I mean, one really obvious reason why that, that, that's not, not a good idea is the fact that Brown is capitalized, so it seems to be the name of a person. But also, I just don't think Finn, there's brown trout all over the place in, in all kinds of, of waterways throughout the, the Rocky Mountains. And, and so it's not very specific. Um, and then there are the people that say, well, home of brown there's brown trout here and there's also brown bears nearby and brown rocks as if you could add up a bunch of weak weak things and and uh and and get a strong solution you don't have to be an astrophysicist to recognize that that approach isn't going to get you anywhere i've not seen another one another solve that i thought was plausible which which really surprises me what he did have was a solution that he liked and wanted to share with me. And it was pretty good. He had a hot spring high in the mountains of New Mexico, and from there a canyon not far, but too far to walk, to where anthropologist Donald Nelson Brown lived when he studied the Picurus tribe. Forrest Fenn, as a collector of Native American artifacts, might have known that. If, if you put in below the home of Brown, where you go to? And wow, you go into no place for the meek, because it's you go into Imbuto Gorge. It's just this raging rapids, it's, it's a class four whitewater rapids thing. That's when I realized that I was really onto something here. The meek don't navigate whitewater, Rob says, and I was impressed. This solution was four clues in, all pretty strong. Then, after no place for the meek, the next few lines are, the end is ever drawing nigh, there'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. And Imbuto Gorge is filled with side creeks flowing into the main river. I think there be no paddle up your creek says, says that you turn up one of these creeks. But then he hit heavy loads and water high. And depending on how you read the poem, it's potentially the sixth, seventh, or eighth clue out of nine. So if you can crack that one, you might be really close. Rob said heavy loads and water high referred to the pools of water that collect in the stream bed when the water stops flowing. They don't drain. And so they're technically higher than the creek down below. And the heavy loads, I think, are just big rocks. There's huge boulders in there. I think Rob's solution is one of the best out there. But his interpretation of heavy loads and water high sort of violates his own brown trout, home of brown rule. That is, there's brown trout in almost every waterway out west. So it's not a very specific interpretation of the poem. And if you look at any side creek coming into Embudo Gorge, they all have pools and big rocks. 
his other clues are just stronger. Plus, for roughly a year back in 2018, Rob searched around in Budo Gorge and didn't find the Fen treasure. But he hasn't been able to get this solution out of his head. It's the best he can find. I mean, everyone I've seen it seems to ignore a clue or you know, there's always there's always one of the clues that just kind of sticks out to me and stuff like, you know, that's really not right. He wanted to talk to me because he thought maybe I had heard a better one, one that would help him let go of this interpretation of the poem. And I had, but only one. This is Missed Fortune, an Apple original podcast from High Five Content, 30 Minutes West, and Outside Magazine. I'm Peter Frickret. Okay, so you were describing, you were talking through the clues and saying, like, if you have to, if you throw out water, heavy loads and water's high, you have to throw out the rest of them because the the scheme you're following is to look at the, to look at the poem as directions. Absolutely. And the other ones are just the dead. Yeah, yeah. After getting Daryl off that cliff in Yellowstone, I emailed my editors at Outside. I had a crazy story for them. Not so much about Forrest Fenn as someone caught in the tractor beam of his treasure hunt. And as Daryl and I continued to look for the treasure together, I started to get a better sense of what it was like inside that tractor beam. And so, if you agree with the first three clues, then you have to take, uh, in my opinion, uh, just heavy loads of water high as a description of where you are. Taken by themselves, Fenn's clues suck you in with their misleading simplicity. But on this drive out to Yellowstone, Daryl started to walk me through the other thing that makes the Fenn treasure hunt so incredibly captivating. Something no other treasure hunt has ever had. Encouragement from Forrest Fenn himself. Okay, so yeah, the last sequence of, of scrapbooks that have come sort of as in response to the emails that you've sent Forrest. And you can... I believe that's the case. You know, I believe... I I truly do. Most of the time, before Daryl goes out searching, he bounces his ideas off Forrest over email. So if he sees a rock that kind of looks like a trout on the cliff he's searching, he'll take a picture and send it to Fenn. Every so often, Forrest writes a short message back. Usually something like, Good luck, Daryl. But then, Daryl says, Forrest goes and posts photos and stories that relate to whatever Daryl sent. Like Forrest is saying, go get it. But to me, the stories aren't quite that clear. After Daryl sent him the trout photo, Fenn posted a story about going fishing and not getting a bite. So, so he's, he's writing about getting skunked fishing. I think that's how the story, I mean... Yeah, I read it, I read it too. Okay. Yeah, it was, yeah, okay, that he was skunked, okay. And I, does that, I mean, this is a story about being unsuccessful and it's in relation to your clue. Does that worry you? Um... When he titles it Golden Trout, and as you saw on the picture of my location, there is a picture of a golden fish. No, not at all. How about you? Does it worry you? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You think because he got skunked? So if he had caught five fish and it was a glorious day, you think that would have been... I mean, that seems like more of a straightforward uh, message of encouragement. The website Fenn supposedly used to communicate with Daryl 
is a fan-made blog with a section called Forest's Scrapbooks. It's where Fenn occasionally tells stories, posts photos, answers questions, and shares letters he's gotten. The thing is, these little vignettes are often so weird, like an obviously photoshopped picture of his favorite hat, that you sort of have to assume that they are secret messages, or hints, to someone. I watched Daryl send Fenn messages and then compared them to posts in Forrest's scrapbooks for a couple of weeks, and I actually think Daryl has a point. Around the same time as the golden fish, Daryl sent him something about how frogs might relate to the hunt, and Fenn posted pictures of a fishing lure that looked like a frog, and the metallic frog on his toothbrush holder. Then Daryl found some significance in some swirls of rock, and Fenn posted about the shapes he sees in the marble tile in his bathroom. It was a kind of conversation, for a while anyway. We're just not sure what it means. Right, right. But that's what you were selling, saying to him. Right. And then he's he's posting up on the internet, like, here's some things I see in my marble tile. Like, you could read that as... But why is he responding? If, if Even what you're saying is, you're taking the other side of that. Why is he doing that specific scrapbooks to me? He's only telling me that, no, you're not on it? <laughs> Maybe. Why would he waste all that time on me when there's thousands of people writing him? Because... It'll be a scrapbook every five minutes because there's other people that aren't on it either. So he's got to create a scrapbook for them. Why am I special? Maybe because you are... Uh, yeah, you have a lot to I know learn. where it's at. <laughs> That's why. Whatever was going on, every time Forrest would post, the comment section would fire up with people analyzing and dissecting every word, image, and typo. Daryl wasn't the only one. And it seems Forrest knew exactly what he was doing. Forrest refused to guide people, good or bad, because he wanted to sit on his high horse and act like he didn't want to meddle. But he did meddle at every turn. This is Sasha Dent, a treasure hunter who had regular access to Forrest over the years. And he put out those scrapbooks knowing they would cause frenzies and people would go crazy, and yet he still did it. Sasha and Forrest connected through a case of mistaken shipping labels. She had been trying to send Forrest a children's book that she'd made out of his poem. But what showed up was the keys to her sister's fifth wheel. Anyway, they started emailing and then would meet for lunch in Santa Fe, sometimes pretty often. But the treasure made it a complicated friendship. Fenn wouldn't discuss the location. But they did talk about other aspects of the hunt, like the scrapbooks. Did he ever talk about, like, I like this story is for this purpose, or um, no. nothing no. that specific? Here's the thing. I never asked, because I knew he would lie to me, and I never wanted to be lied to. I never wanted to give Forrest a chance to fuck with me like he fucked with so many people. And here's what I mean. Uh, we would be at a public event at the bookstore, Collected Works in Santa Fe, a book signing. And I'm sitting next to Forrest watching him talk to people. And someone would walk up and they'd say, Forrest, I know exactly where your treasure is. It's in a spa in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, right? And he would go, you sound like you know what you're doing. 
And he would make it sound so that he it was an affirmative, even though that's not what he said. But the way he would do his inflection, he did it on purpose. That person would run away, excited as could be, thinking that Forrest Fenn just told them they were right, when he never said anything like that. But he, And he knew. He knew that's what they did. What would you have him say in those situations? Maybe you ought to go back to the drawing board and rethink some of those clues. Hmm. Is that not helping via narrowing down? I mean... No. Why not? I don't think that telling people they're on the wrong track is not... is bad. You are not... There, There's an infinite number of places in the Rocky Mountains that could conceal a 10 by 10 by 6 inch box. Infinite. Okay? So if that is the case, how is it that by telling a person, no, you're wrong would help them get any closer to being right. Especially if you said, maybe you ought to rethink some of your clues. That, I didn't tell you you're right on the first clue, but the rest of them are wrong, or you've got four right. I didn't say anything specific, did I? But I did keep you out from going into the mountains believing you were right and potentially doing dangerous things with that belief behind you. Hmm. There is no sin in doing that. And if there are hints in the scrapbooks, then that's even worse, because that means that the whole time he would give hints in the affirmative, but none in the negative. He claimed to not want to interfere, yet he could not help but interject at every turn. If you only ever get encouragement, and never discouragement, Pretty soon, no idea is out of bounds. No theory is too crazy to consider. And after enough non-discouragement from Fenn, Daryl found himself analyzing each image in Forrest's scrapbooks almost pixel by pixel, looking for secret, hidden messages. Hey, when do you get a chance? Um, can you uh, take a look at something? And he found them. Uh, yeah. There, did you send me an email? Yeah, I did. Sometimes it was references to owls in the scrapbooks. One time it was a phone number embedded in the Yellowstone landscape that you could only see in the mirror. You sort of have to turn it, and if you have a laptop, look at it in the mirror. I'm missing one number. It's a phone number. Remember, when it comes to interpreting the rest of Forrest's poem, Joe's in the company of astrophysicists. Of all the solutions people have sent me, his is the best. Up to a point. I think with one more flash of insight, he might find it. Thing is, somewhere in his correspondence with Forrest, he decided that the images in the scrapbooks lined up with photos from Google Earth, and that those would lead him right to the chest. And he just can't shake that idea. I think there's a little, I think I I see a gleam in your eye, bro. (laughs) On our next, third hunting trip in February 2015, the thing that brought Daryl back was a satellite photo of a bend in the Lamar River, plus some trees and their shadows that look like a capital letter F. It lined up perfectly with a post in Forrest's scrapbooks, a picture of a capital F carved into an aspen tree in his backyard. And the resemblance is remarkable. So Daryl zoomed in on the aspen looking for something in the picture and found what he says is a map. Those tree shadows? Caves. 
And that's where the treasure is. You don't think I'm crazy for being here, right? Um, not oh, the, uh... Oh, come on now with the, um, <laughs> come on, man. I don't think Daryl's crazy. I think he's using a treasure hunt to fill an empty space inside. Just like most everyone who gets into treasure hunting. But in terms of locating Fenn's treasure chest, the most interesting part of this theory is the fact that we are near Slough Creek. And remember, the clue we're puzzling is there'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. So you need a creek in your solution at some point. Thing is, in this same area, you've also got Rose Creek, Jasper Creek, Pebble Creek, and Crystal Creek. Without a better read on heavy loads and water high, it's all just a guess. So we might as well check out those caves. And so when we, can you tell me where, what we're gonna find when we get over there? We're gonna go in and get this treasure. Mark my words. Read my ass. We spent the whole day looking for caves, talking about important stuff, like the best way to hydrate. No, I didn't like the cherry as much as I like the, um, what was the other one we had? Uh, huckleberry? The, yeah, that was, that was good. good. That, was, that was good. But the whole time, it's pretty clear that there aren't any caves. I, I just don't see it. I mean, there, there aren't any holes. We're in the right spot. Yeah, just think, it's just that the shadows in the satellite photo that Daryl thought were caves are actually shadows. And Daryl's reaction to this isn't sheepish apology, but doubling down on enthusiasm for this location. He wants to come back tomorrow. Huh. Nice big thing of pasta. Yeah, that sounds good. Build up some carbs for tomorrow. Yeah. You ready to go? And I'll, I want to study and I'll go to bed early. Okay. I'm going to be ready to go. And just, I'm seriously, I just want to know exactly where that is and how we can get, I want to do a line. I want to be professional about it. Yeah. We did it today, just jumped up. I want a line, just, I want it to be perfect. Okay. Um, Let's do it. As badass as possible. Yeah. And Daryl does eat a big plate of pasta. And he does go to bed early. So early that I leave him in the room and go down to the lobby. Up to this point, I'd been trying to maintain a little bit of distance from the poem, observing the solvers more than trying to solve it myself. Because I felt like this treasure hunt was a game where the only winner was Fenn's ego. And if I engaged with the clues, I was admitting that that game was worth my time. But it seemed like Fenn was toying with Daryl. And I was tired of looking for caves, talking about golden trout. I was frustrated with Fenn for messing with Daryl, with Daryl for running in circles. And then all of a sudden, I was frustrated with myself. Because down there in the lobby, I stopped simply following Daryl on his search, and I got out ahead of him a little bit, crossing the line from observer to seeker, like I said I wouldn't do. I started looking up things on my laptop, like heavy loads Lamar River and Slough Creek waters high. And I found it. So here's what I found with heavy loads. It's the next morning. Daryl woke up early. I was so excited to show him what I found that I barely slept. How was you able to highlight that? It's kind of cool. That's, that's, that's nice. Command F. <laughs> We're looking at a page with information about updating and rebuilding the roads and bridges in Yellowstone. All right, so that's 
that's just like a Wikipedia kind of thing. But I went back to the references that it cites. Right. Let me show you those. That's pretty solid. But if you click back through to the sources, it links to a National Park Service history of the roads in Yellowstone National Park, which links to a government report on all of the bridges in Yellowstone. Yeah, so that's in the original report from the Yellowstone. It's like a congressman and a major general that were giving a report to Congress on Yellowstone road building efforts. Okay. And so How do you get done this next picture below it? Just uh, use two fingers and scroll down. I didn't read the whole thing. I think it might be an entire book that someone typed out by hand. But I did use Command F to screen search for heavy and then load. And I found a caption to a picture of an old-timey pickup truck, half submerged in water, on top of a collapsed pile of timbers and planks. The caption reads, Lamar Bridge, broken by overload, 1932. Okay, so this reads this paragraph here. Then I searched for water and high in the same document, and up popped a reference to the freshets of 1918, flash floods basically, that washed out the Lamar River Bridge. High freshets carry away the Pebble Creek Bridge. Freshets. High water? The Pebble Creek Bridge, the Southern Creek Bridge, and the Lamar River Bridge. The high water in 1980 caused this bridge. Caused damage all over the park. Heavy loads and water high. That feeling of knowing where the treasure is, or solving a clue, Daryl had described it over and over, but I never tasted it myself. And I liked it. We already had the sign for No Place for the Meek, and the sign was sitting on the Lamar River Bridge, which had been washed out, then broken, first by high water, then too heavy of a load. And right underneath that bridge was Crystal Creek, which you can't paddle up. The next lines in the poem are, If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down, your quest to cease. In other words, start looking for an X to mark the spot. Where do you go from look quickly down? Look quickly down from the research. Look quickly down from, um... I think from the bridge. If you look quickly down from the Lamar River Bridge, you're looking at an island. I'll paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. That makes 100% right there with Crystal Creek and the bridge. A, a thousand percent. <laughs> you know, there is... <laughs> There is an island in the middle of that river right there. Oh no. Oh no. He wouldn't do that. What? Would he? The most famous treasure story in the English language is Treasure Island. It's where we get the idea that X marks the spot, and the skull and crossbones Jolly Roger pirate flag. And Fenn has said that pirate stories were his inspiration for the treasure hunt. Would he have created his own treasure island? There's an island right below the bridge. It can't be that simple. Yeah, so that's the, the island. It is not that simple. It looks like we can just walk right to it. Here are the problems with our treasure island. First, 
Around the time Forrest hid the treasure, in 2010, the Lamar Bridge was completely torn down, rebuilt, and slightly relocated just upstream from the old one. You can see the change in old satellite photos. You can also see where construction crews were all over this island to make the bridge. Cutting down trees, moving rocks. If there was a bronze chest here, it would have been found or destroyed. They brought on some sort of huge flatbed. Maybe it's, it, it all has to be one piece. There's no way that they put the, you don't weld concrete, right? No. So. A second, this spot was supposed to be Forrest's burial place. Like he was literally going to lie down and die next to his treasure. And burial at sea might be a thing, but burial in a knee-high trout creek really isn't. We're right under a major road. It's just not a final resting place. The third thing is that we're committing the same mistake that most everyone seems to make at some point in a solution. Our last little bit of justification, Treasure Island being the origin of X marks the spot, it has nothing to do with the poem. We're just making connections. This is a... uh... There's a treasure-shaped hole down here. Is there? But the real clincher, the nail in the coffin of our theory, is that we looked all over that island, and it wasn't there. What do you mean we could probably paint two Fs right here? (laughs) (laughs) Next guy's, oh my god! (laughs) But surely we're on the right track. Six, or maybe even eight of the nine clues in Fenn's poem match the landscape exactly. We're zooming in on a solution that doesn't fall victim to any of the pitfalls that seem to doom every other interpretation. Where warm waters halt is a year-round icicle. Home of Brown is the former home of a guy named Brown. No place for the meek is paraphrased on an official Yellowstone sign. And that takes us to a bridge that has collapsed twice. Once from heavy loads, once from high waters. All we've got to do is find the next clue, the blaze. And you can't find the blaze on your computer. Forrest has said that over and over. Except the next day, Daryl's back to drawings and faces hidden in satellite photos and looking for caves. I didn't get it. I was handing him an answer to a clue that he was stuck on, and he was ignoring it. As a reporter, that shouldn't have bothered me. But as a treasure hunter, it did. Talk about caves. Like I said, again, I was, you know, thinking six feet around when it's really, he's drawing this. And what he means by the ear is somewhere in that direction there um, where it's going to be. And uh, when we get back, when we get to eat, I'd like to show you what I'm, what, just at least what I'm talking about. Yeah. And yeah. Um, no, I, I think I get it. I, uh, I, I just don't believe it. Oh, yeah, 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 that's obvious, I know. You're not here to believe it, you're just here to write the story. (laughs) And a good one is going to be, because it'll be found one day. This wasn't the last time I saw Daryl. This wasn't even our last hunting trip together. But it's kind of the moment I stopped worrying that I might miss the moment. That he might find it while I wasn't around. I gotta ask, like, every time we come out here, and you're so dead set, like, is is there a bit of it that's like, if you, if I believe in this completely, like wholeheartedly, it will happen? No. Um. 
Just seeing if you believe. What's that? Just seeing if you believe. Okay. Um, whether you believe or not, I believe it's going to happen. And that's why we're here. Sure, but you believe it every time. Got to. Daryl's belief got him back out to Yellowstone. But it didn't get him any closer to the treasure. Was that maybe the point? Was believing he would find the treasure more rewarding than actually finding it? Because it seemed like that was the feeling he was chasing. The treasure is here in Lamar. One day, when you're old, you'll hear, see it, find it, whatever. Um, hear about it being found. Um, you'll say Daryl was right. Um, my belief is that it's here. I know it's here. By this point, I've been following Daryl for six months. We'd been to Yellowstone four times. I had my magazine story. And it wasn't going to be about the guy who found the treasure. But the guy stuck, like everyone else at the time, in the potentially endless loop of a treasure hunt. I had burned through my expense budget. I was borrowing money just to be out here. And it was becoming clear that Daryl and his hunt was going to drag me back out here every two or three weeks until I was living in my car too. So if Daryl couldn't quit the hunt, if he didn't even want to, I was going to have to quit Daryl. And let me just say here, for the first time, I'm sorry, Daryl. I really wish I hadn't done that. That's next time. Missed Fortune is an Apple original podcast produced by High Five Content in association with 30 Minutes West and Outside Magazine. The show is written and hosted by me, Peter Fickwright with writing, editing, composing, and sound design by Robbie Carver. Story editing by Michael May. Additional editing by Alex Ward and Tierra Darnell. Additional production by Ann Bailey. Additional recording by The Audio Planet in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Fact-checking by Matt Giles. Final mix by Stephen Cray. Michael Derman is our line producer. Accounting by Matt Rock. Additional consulting from Gene McHale Waite. The executive producer for High Five Content is Andrew Jacobs. Executive producers for 30 Minutes West are Peter Frickwright and Robbie Carver. Thanks to Outside's editor in chief, Chris Kyes, and Michael Roberts, director of audio. Legal services provided by Chris Keene and Diana Palacios. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, leave us a review. We'll be back next week.